welcome to the first Sunday Live, uh, Torch Deck Sunday Live of the new year. So um, your host this week is me, Linda Hayden from the Packing Woman Podcast, and I am joined by Tony Martin from the Echo Chamber Podcast, Dr. Caroline West from Glow West, and Dr. Vicky Conway from Policed in Ireland. Um, we are also joined this week by Ajiro Abevwan, um, uh, who is going to come in and chat to us in a little while as well. Um, so loads to cover. Another busy, busy week. Um, I think we'll start with the uh, elephant in the government's room. Uh, and I think we'll kick off with uh, COVID and the fact that um, it's it's turned into a bit like Chernobyl, where the Geiger counter wouldn't go any higher. Um, and they just took that as the reading. Isn't that what's going on at the moment? Go, Martin. You know you want to talk. Yeah, I, they they took the eye off the ball. Uh, Neffa told them you can't have uh, home visits and open up socialising, and they did. They took the risk, as Pat Lee said, a gamble. Um, they took the gamble, and we lost. Um, not them, we lost. So we are locked down, and if anybody thinks they're poking their head out before the end of March, Forget about it. The cases are up at 6,000. There is no way to get these down below 100 without draconian lockdown measures and strict enforcement. And that's what's coming our way. And we will we will see the nasty side to this government. And um, they are blaming the public. So they are going to enforce that visually as well. Expect checkpoints, expect knocks on doors, expect all of it. It's coming. They've lost control, and the only way they can maintain control now is to act the heavy, which they will. Well, can I just say, make one point, which is quite... Um, it's okay for people like me to be getting annoyed at the moment about the fact that we keep hearing, stay home, wash your hands, um, personal responsibility. I've... Uh, nice house I'm, i have my own space i, I you know i've I, I have an own my own room to do podcasts from for god's sake there's a lot of people who don't have those um and they don't have that room they don't have that and to, to carry on as if they're they're somehow responsible for the spread of a virus that, that they were warned about i find is actually really 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 condescending um and it's really starting to get on my nerves and i and i'm just i, I can get away with it vicky sorry did you want to come in no it's, it's more than condescending and like sharon lambert was making this point on twitter earlier i'm not sure she's here but she like she would say you know you can go with personal responsibility all you want but we have laws for a reason you know we wouldn't need drink driving laws as she said if personal responsibility worked we know it doesn't work we can't rely on personal responsibility and the government have to step up and take charge and as martin said they took a gamble they favored the economy and businesses that in a way that wasn't necessary because we know our economy is doing really well they could have supported those businesses through this um but they did it and now people are dying now have something to be said there about like yeah personal responsibility but like like empathy like we don't drink drive because we don't want to murder anyone and, and crash into anyone so like we don't have house parties at Christmas because we know that like you know if we do we're going to infect people and they're going to infect their grannies and stuff like that so there is like I don't know if personal responsibility is 
the right word like maybe it's just empathy and maybe is there a lack of understanding so that we're still this far into a pandemic and people are thinking oh just because we're allowed to go to the pubs doesn't mean we should be going out to the pubs i i agree with you on that but it's the government's job to create the safest circumstances that they can yeah that's their job if personal responsibility solved everything we'd have no tax evasion rich people would say well it's my personal responsibility to pay taxes but they don't so yeah no but people have had such a tough year i mean they've been through so much like i've heard so many heartbreaking stories and if the government opens the pubs people are going to go like that they need a break and they're going to take it if the government says they're allowed to take it and that's what happened we we elect leaders to lead And if the government, and they're very, very quick to step up to a mic to claim praise for anything that goes right, extremely quick to do it. Now, the flip side of responsibility is being able to stand up to the mic and say, I made a mistake. And don't turn around and say it's individual responsibility. That's what the NRA uses to justify gun crime in America. So, look, let's not do the same things they do in America. Let's 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 look at our government and say we elect you at least be adult enough to step up to the mic and say we screwed up can I, at least I, be that adult go on, tell no me. no just one thing i want to say on that okay putting all that to one side what is actually helpful now is the first time you've heard the conversation being without people shouting it down that um we need to move towards zero covid or or suppress not just suppression but try to move towards eradication and it's started to filter up now. You know, people like Orla Hegarty, Anthony Staines, Thomas Ryan, all of these people who've been working on this for months and months and months um, have made their points and have been dismissed as being the people who are just, you know, oh, you can't listen to them. That's not an option. At least now they're getting a little bit more traction because we need a real conversation. And I also want to come back. Last thing on the personal responsibility thing is if you keep telling people that the vaccine's around the corner. Yeah, they're going to they're mm. going to take a bit more risks and that's just yeah. the way it's going to be. It will creep in. So I don't I don't buy that too much because, you know, you open the pubs. This is what you're going to do. But nonetheless, you tell people like there's tweets from every every minister I know, every minister I know tweeted 2021 is going to be a great year. Mm. So, so I actually sh- I actually think 2021 is not going to be a great. And I hate to oh, put the that down again. I hate to put that down around people, but we've lost already at least the first three months of 2021. The vaccine rollout is going nowhere. Absolutely no. nowhere. And the kids are due back in school on the 11th. I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. Absolute and, disaster. and the points being made in the, in the comments about not having an all-island approach. I mean, Donegal is louder than Cavan, like the highest numbers in Ireland and still nothing around the border or like controls in that respect. Mm. My biggest concern with it is there is no cohesive plan for this vaccine. You can't see anything to say. The government haven't done anything. The Sunday Business Post are the only people who've seemed to have done any kind of projection as to when people are going to be fully vaccinated. And I don't think people realise this time next year, people who are the second last year could be getting them like that's that's what's going on and we don't have any guarantee of, of guaranteed supply and that's based off 250,000 people getting vaccinated a week we have this a week now and how many people have been vaccinated 1800 
that's it. So I don't think, you know, it could be at least a year unless they, they get I their fingers I really out. think they should have like um, a 5k race for whoever can, you know, your best time gets <laughs> no, a vaccine. We're, we're going to end up with having to have a yearly vaccine. But because this is Ireland, you're going to get it every two years. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> that, that's going to happen. Guys, like those, those chromium know. tablets on. Was it chromium iodine? Oh, what the idea. Yeah, I, I, I still, was nuclear, <laughs> nuclear fallout. <laughs> like it's it's just it's very concerning because what's happening now is they're not testing close contacts because the amount of people who are symptomatic are are much much higher. So you're gonna not be counting the asymptomatic people. Whereas yeah. before we were. Um, and what's going to happen then as well is they're going to start fudging the numbers because we know like they they don't have the capacity to get up over 5,000. Or they even said like 1,700 was kind of the capacity. So the numbers coming out at 3,300 yesterday was quite shocking. Um, they're saying about 5,000 a day at the moment. And they said they were going to close the schools at two and a half and still no word about closing the schools. So the, it's it's if you compare it to other crises, like housing or health that's sort of slow boil where you're immersed in this and it they boil it slowly so you don't feel it this is full-on boil and you're ducked in every couple of months you're just ducked into it full-on boil and they're not taking it from cold to hot and it's really exposed that they are not capable of managing a crisis they're simply not capable of managing a crisis we've had it with house we've had it housing health where it's over a protracted uh, length of time but when it's something really quick it really exposes how useless they are they are complete i mean we're at a stage now where the politicians have overruled the medics and they've really destroyed uh, what little grasp on society they had and somebody has to say they're just not capable they're not they might be posh rich boys but that doesn't make them particularly capable of anything yeah, but we're not seeing an election anytime soon. Nobody's falling that government down. Nobody wants to go into that spot themselves. No, nobody does. I, I, I still think and uh, there's an outside chance that they'll lose so much control of this that the only option is a national government. I think that's the. I think there's still an outside chance of that. That they'll they, they'll just very, have to very, get to, the, to the point where it's so bad that they have to involve everybody to get buy in. Does that make it better? It means you've buy-in. You need transparency. You need people to see how decisions are being made. If the pubs are going to be opened, we need to understand what's the payoff for opening the pubs. Simply saying we have to reach a balance when your balance is 6,000 people infected every day is not good enough. Yeah. So I think we need to move on from this a little bit or else we'll be all day ranting about it. Um, I think the big thing about it was uh, when Meha Martin got up the other day, the mood of the country based off of what we were seeing on social media was one of great anger. Like people know this government has failed to manage this at all. So, um, you know, I think it's time we kind of started really holding them to account on it uh, because we're going to just keep going in and out and in and out and in and out. And it's going to just 2021 is going to be a complete write off. And that will be detrimental. Like we won't be growing our economy if we keep that up. So, um, 
We are delighted. Uh, Well, we would be delighted if it was under better circumstances. Um, But I'm very pleased to introduce Ajiro um, Bavevan, apologies, um, who is a psychotherapist and she is the founder of Black Therapists Ireland. Ajiro, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, We wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, what happened this week with the killing of George Nanchenko. So um, if you can just... Talk us through a little bit about how the black community is feeling at the moment. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'm really going to stay away from the incident and what happened. I'm a therapist and I am here to talk about the pain, the hurt, the anger and all that kind of stuff. So when I speak, um, I just want to be clear that people understand that I am not speaking against what has been done or the investigation. I am purely in the healing space. I, I've been to two meetings, community meetings, where this has been discussed. And I have left with the heaviness that as a therapist, I'm struggling to manage it, not to talk of people who have no experience in managing their emotional health or their mental health, um, their mental health in general. Um, People are hurt, people are angry. I have been a therapist, I I have experience in therapy now for about 10 years. And to be honest, I dropped at those bullets as well. The impact on me was massive. And if I'm feeling this, what are the young people feeling? And that's what I'm that's that's where the pain and the hurt is. When you see your mother crying, lost and in pain, as a young person, what do you do? There's nowhere to go, there's no outlet. And that's what we're struggling in with in the community. What has happened has just devastated so many people. And my heart goes out to the young people, but even the children people who are under 12, who are observing all of this and thinking what's happening because they cannot, they cannot make sense of it and they cannot put to words what they are feeling. But the people around them don't even understand what's going on. So how can they put words to it? And it's the confusion, the hurt, the pain, the anger and the lashing out that's going on that I feel we need the space to heal. We need the space to just be allowed to experience whatever it is we're experiencing at this time. And there's no, there's, there's no justification or trying to figure out who's right or wrong. There's a loss here and the community is in pain. And we just need to be able to hold ourselves in this pain and every support we can get while we go through this period, like the next few weeks, it's going to be huge because we're telling people, you know, calm down, calm down. But how can you tell an angry man to calm down at this time? And then he has kids and we're looking at these kids. My children, who I would say are safe, I have three daughters, but I have to carry their pain and their fears and their anxiety as a mother. And that's what hurts. That's what we're struggling with, not knowing what to do with all of these emotions that we're experiencing. So in the Black community right now, 
were crying, were weeping, were hurting, and were not being heard, not because it's just the way it is, because people are trying to justify things at this point, and I, I, I and that's not where we need to be. I'm just asking that spaces be created for people to be able to experience whatever it is they're experiencing. If two children are playing, not even playing, if two children accidentally, brother and sister, accidentally bump into each other, or not even accidentally, tumble into each other, and somebody gets hurt, you you take time out for the person who's hurting. Doesn't mean you don't love your other child less. You love them a lot. You give them something, but tell them, go outside, go find your friends while I take care of this one who's hurting. And that's what the black community is looking for right now, where people will take care and just hear that we are hurting. And from there, we will find our way. We will find our way, but at the moment we're flawed and we just need to be able to go through that. So, yeah, that's what we're experiencing right now. And it's difficult for us to articulate it, to put it to words um, without getting emotional. And once we get emotional, we lose sight of what it is we're trying to say. But the pain is real. And I personally am carrying, like yesterday night, I spent time talking to my daughters, just, just being there. We're talking about movies and anime because I could feel the heaviness in my heart and the pain. But that's me. There are people who don't know what to do with what they're experiencing. You've actually just summed it up perfectly there, I think, you know, that... That, that pain, you know, I, I suffer from a mental illness. I know, Mickey, you've spoken about this too. You know, as, as people who suffer from mental illness, this has actually impacted us quite severely because if it was a case that my mental illness got to that stage, you know, would people be okay with that happening to me? You know, and you, you do definitely feel that. And I think, you know, you've, you've said it absolutely there. What kind of supports? Ajiro, do you think, or, or spaces, do you think that the government or, you know, the people can give you? You know, like that's, that's a, I think that's a good question to ask. Yeah. People don't know necessarily how to react to it. Yes. And that's another thing that was so clear about in the black community that people don't know what to do when it comes to race and, the, and, and what's going on. But first of all, let's acknowledge that there is pain. And how would you feel? If you're in pain, what would you need? Offer that. And the next thing is to ask people, like like the child I spoke about who fell off their bike because their brother bumped into them. You bandage that wound and you ask them, what would you need? How, How can we help you make it better? And that's what you're doing. How can we make it better? Right now on social media, a lot of negative media is going on. And that hurts. And we're just saying that it doesn't matter what your experience have been with Black people. It doesn't matter what you think is going on. That's only what you think. Think about the pain that people are experiencing right now. And for that reason alone, just desist from adding to the pain by nullifying our pain or trying to justify why the action happened. All that is irrelevant. A loss is a loss. So wherever you are, if you see somebody 
who is angry, maybe don't be so quick to judge them for their anger. Maybe it's time for you to just hold the space. Be there and just hold the space. Allow them to express what they need to express. And if you holding their hand is all you can do, then that is, that's, that's enough. We just need that the, the wider community can appreciate that we're suffering. We don't know what to do yet because we're right in the middle of the grief. You can't expect us to have all the answers right now, but we will get there. We're just saying, you know, allow us to go through this. And the social media is one place that I know that people have been, you know, just trashed, if I can use the word trashed. And to be honest, that's not fair because if somebody had died by suicide, if somebody had died by whatever reason, the person is dead and we are the ones left behind. I am left behind from all this and I'm managing how I am feeling because I am left behind. But most importantly as well is that I think, I think we need to take extra care of our children. And again, my mind keeps going to the younger ones under 15. If you are in any community where you have people of that age, I want you to just, just pay extra attention to their, to their support. They can't articulate it. They might be acting out at this point, but there's so much going on. And on top of this pain, we're all dealing with work under COVID. We're all dealing with financial challenges in addition to what's going on. Like, and it's, it's a lot. So if you can put out a kind word, just because, if you can say something supportive, just because, that's what we want to hear. We need allies, and we keep saying we need allies, and, and sometimes we think it's a big thing. No, it's not necessarily a big thing. It's just you checking in to make sure that I'm okay. That's all. Mm. And I, I would all, say, sorry, Vicky, go sorry. No, I mean... Well, we hear your suffering. You've expressed it in incredibly. I'm not sure how you were able to put that together. Um, and the shack will always be a space to provide whatever support and assistance we can. Um, I thought it was, I mean, we've seen some really horrific stuff on social media, as you said. And part of that is this horrible fake news about criminal convictions and all of this kind of thing. I did think it was very interesting and perhaps a first to see Ongarda Siakona step in and clarify that George had no previous convictions. It's actually very unusual for them to do that. They usually kind of stay away entirely. And I suspect that that's, you know, it's very helpful in the moment yes. for clarifying that this is fake news. But I think there's a lot more that Ongarda Siakona could do. And, um, you know, from where I sit, engagement with the community right now um, and proactively supporting the community and showing them that they're there for them, that they're listening is really important. Do you know, has there been any sign of that as yet? Um, I don't know. Um, um, they, they, they have allowed protests to happen with, you know, they are aware and they are after the safety of people that are protesting and that's, that's huge support. And because that's one way we feel we need to 
remember him and stand up for him because again we are the ones left behind and we want to help people understand that this has happened and we want it not to happen again um and this is just a solidarity that we're in and the police has been very supportive and there are people talking to us and yes you're right with the police coming out to say that that's so supportive because there's a lot going on and it's coming from a space of people wanting to defend the police or defend the whiteness and i understand that but there's no need to defend anything you no. know there's, there's there's just pain and people are in tears mothers are crying that they made the wrong decision to come to ireland and like that that's painful mm-hmm. yes Jero, thank you so much for for coming on and for laying your pain out for us like it's it's hard to see and it's hard to hear but I think it's a very necessary conversation so I I know we all want to thank you so much for being so brave and coming coming in Tony I just want to say one really quick thing that if um if if anybody's listening to this please understand that 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 solidarity means standing with not behind and 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 speaking up for okay that's the only thing i want to say that is phenomenal um we there's nothing else to add just thank you for your time thank you caroline i just want to build on that and just like what vicky was saying by fake news and that it's our responsibility to check the sources of items that are going around and being careful not to share them um, and to look at the motivation of the people who are sharing them and like that's something that we can do so we're not sharing around oh we had 35 convictions or whatever it was and blindly sharing this content because we know the people who are behind this are a lot of the times the far right so we're actually furthering their goal of divisive um rhetoric in Ireland and stuff so like we need to actually stand up and take that step and go actually that picture is fake news that was a, an Everton fan from 2019 don't share that round and, and things like that but also at the same time bringing it back into focus of if a person had a hundred convictions it literally does not matter you still don't deserve to have this experience happening and I know back um, in in the states around the time of George Floyd someone dug up that he'd done some porn or it was rumoured he'd done some porn I don't know if it was actually true or not as if this was some justification so it's it's this kind of level of this is a good person or this is a bad person and if they die it's like oh well they did so and so in their lives we've all done mad stuff you know we don't deserve to die for any of it and even if we harmed a bunch of people like even if we did horrific things we still don't deserve to die and it's a slippery slope to say who's who's okay because of what they've done in life so we need to I suppose kind of pick that narrative apart as well of you can have zero convictions or a million convictions. You still don't deserve. Doesn't matter. Deserve. We don't have a death penalty in this country. Simple as so. No. Um, no. Ajiro, thank you so much. We're going to have to move on to the next topic, and I'm going to go to you, Caroline, if that's okay. And we're we're, we're keeping it heavy. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no fun stuff today. Um, this was just, I suppose, um, I know it's a little bit older now, but the news on Christmas that um, 800 children contacted Childline for support and it was around various issues such as anxiety or depression or witnessing substance abuse in the home. We know there's a lot of drinking going on in people's homes and stuff at the moment or, well, generally in Irish culture, that's kind of, you know, a part of our society. 
on the surface, it looks like good news because it was down from about 1,200 last year, like 1,247 or something the year before. But that doesn't necessarily mean good news. It might mean someone wasn't able to get to a phone or, you know, it didn't have that opportunity to escape. So um, I just at the moment, I'm writing an article for the examiner on children's experiences of domestic violence and during the lockdown. So I think it's really important to just remember that you, you, we've had these conversations about the lockdown and I know as we're going into another one we're going to have more conversations about people stuck in homes but I think it's important to remember that children are there and they're not um, passive bystanders they are also experiencing domestic violence and to have 800 children feel the need to to ring Childline on Christmas day when it's you know we're bombarded with ads from supermarkets and saying how this is going to be the happiest day and everything else and to just remember that um, like 800 children is just 800 too many you know that it's, it's just a crap kind of thing so yeah I'll be hopefully having that that article out um, soon Vicky um, can I just add in on that I mean this all falls into a context as well where you know we don't really have 24-7 social care um, social workers in this country like the supports that are available for them if they're calling out of hours um, and I know you're talking about the calls to the you know, the helplines, but like in terms of actual state intervention and assistance, we have a really poor and limited system. Um, and I mean, I have a podcast coming out next year, early next year, about a young woman who, when she was 12 or 13, reported her brother um, for sexually abusing her, and she was the one put into care. And you know, the trauma of all of that, um, like at that age, and like. Jiro can probably comment on this, but like how, you know, brains can't cope with that kind of stuff at that age. They're not set up to. And and the intergenerational harm that's caused through all of this is so problematic. And our failure to assist and treat and support and protect more than anything to protect these people is is just appalling. It's just that lack of empathy again. Like this is my buzz for today of like, if we were a decent care in society, we wouldn't have like, oh, clap for your nurses. We'd have mm. them paid properly and with the PPE that they need and the supports that they need. We wouldn't even need to have Childline because we'd have decent services from birth going up. We wouldn't need to have any refuges in the country because we'd have an empathic care in society where we don't commit violence against each other. And if we did, it would be the anomaly, not the norm, which we mm. are seeing. We're finally kind of admitting that this stuff is a lot more common than we think. And I think just the narrative around children is really important to kind of bring into this conversation because we might have finally accepted domestic violence as a thing. But the, fa the fact that like children are like victims of this and we have the concept of intergenerational trauma, there's still a little bit of head wrapping to get around that. And, and, you know, that's why the support services aren't there for a lot of it. Like putting someone in foster care because they report being abused. Like that's that's not an empathetic approach whatsoever or even I worked before with unaccompanied minors coming in like unaccompanied refugees and I was like where's the like mandatory therapy for these people they're going to be traumatized and the response from the HSE was well when they if if they show signs trauma we'll get them something and you're like what <laughs> I just I think it brings us back to the original point about personal responsibility you don't solve societal problems with personal responsibility that's not how you do it. You have to put time, effort, resources into it. And there's no point in just turning around and say, well, everybody be responsible for themselves and we'll all be quite tickety-boo. Thanks very much. You actually have to do something.
there, there's uh, to give it a bit of context i'm three weeks trying to get somebody into a refuge now mm-hmm. three weeks somebody's in, in danger so and, and did, Giro, did a Giro want to comment there no no i'm just uh no no thank you where, where they were talking <laughs> about sorry <laughs> children you know uh, children in care it, that all stops at like five o'clock on a friday i don't mm. know if people are aware of this a child can ring at four o'clock on a friday and um, might be able to get through to somebody but nothing is going to happen until business opens again on monday morning we unless this. unless and if you link it back to earlier conversations unless you call the guards yeah 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 that's so, and that's because where they're the only they're the only 24-7 response. I mean, it really is about not fit for purpose systems within the state and the state itself is proving to be not fit for purpose at the moment. And just to kind of touch on this a little bit, this week's Pack Woman podcast, which is out today, is about Shane Griffin, who was a very strong voice for care for children in care. And um we lost Shane a year ago this week. So um, his sister talks very, very much about how they ended up in the situation they ended up in and how the system failed them. So um, if you are more interested in that, then please um, just have a listen to that one. I'd I, 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 I second that. Go have a listen to it. I, I listened to it twice. Um, so I really, I really got a lot out of the. And the other thing that strikes me was something that that um, that Ajiro will attest to. There was there's an element of certain communities have a higher bar, mm. you know, that these communities, if they do something wrong, the police yeah. are called, whereas if other communities do something wrong. It's a local issue and it's dealt with by by someone within the community. And it yeah. just seems to be. And that was very clear to me um, listening to Shane's um, story as well as what happened this week with yeah. George. Yeah, that's that's so true. And that's what people are saying, you know, allowing our young people to be young and figure things out without being punished for taking the wrong step. You know, I, like I have supported so many young men in this community with, in my experience, both in therapy and outside therapy. We we well, we need to be caring for the younger people and allow them to figure their way out. But if the guards is the way that we punish people every time they sidestep, then it's it doesn't feel like home. Doesn't feel healthy. Mm. Fully agree. Um, I see that we have Don Foster. Hi, Don. How are you? Greetings from Plague Island. I'm I was I was going to say it and I said I'd let you say it. <laughs> How are things in the UK in the first few days post-Brexit? Uh, an absolute mess. Apparently, you know, we're, uh, we, we're, we're, we're told by Ian Duncan Smith that if we're 21, we can go out literally buccaneering now. And so far, it seems like absolutely every political party is in we, you know, in, is in absolute disarray. Uh, so we've had like the usual Sunday political political panels this morning. Uh, Labour uh, kind of being very slow and, re- and refusing to come out and with any position on schools. Boris Johnson has simultaneously said that it's safe for schools to reopen and parents should send their kids there. And also that he is planning some tighter restrictions in the coming few days to control COVID, but not saying what they are. So... You know, apparently it's perfectly safe to have 30 
kids in a room and then have those 30 kids go home to their families and go back and forth, you know, uh, day in, day out with, with teachers, without masks on. But it's not safe for several people to sit in a coffee shop. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be any kind of contradiction there. And it just seems increasingly obvious with the government that they are just point blank refusing to accept the science, accept what doctors are saying to them, and are purely focused on uh, on the political at this point. And that, you know, we've even had uh, Esther McVeigh, one of one of uh, Tory MPs today, come out and say that uh, she thinks that we need to look uh, look again at what would be a tolerable number of deaths. So, you know, we, we now have Tory MPs coming out and saying, you know, we, it, more people die and it's going to be a fact of life. We, we, and when I speak to my friends who are doctors, um, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of them qualified in the last two years and they're all completely exhausted. They're, they've all been drafted into um, hospitals as junior doctors and they're seeing younger and younger people. So people my age and younger, lots of, a lot more children. Uh, they're even seeing entire wards that have now had to be turned into COVID wards for children who are you know, primary school age or secondary school age. And at the same time, uh, parents are not being told whether or not they have to send their kids to school at 9am tomorrow. And, you know, Labour are being very slow on this when it, you know, which seems ridiculous and they're focusing on, on it as a political issue. And, you know, the right wing media have said it's a middle class issue, etc. When, you know, if you actually look at all of these, all of the stats, it simply isn't um, when you look at, at what the trade unions are saying, uh, you know, closing the schools doesn't mean li- literally sh- shutting the buildings and having teachers sat at home doing nothing. It means having them open only for key workers, which they have been throughout the entire crisis. So my mum's a nurse. That means that my siblings have still been going to school and they still will do if those schools are closed. And when you look at who supports closing schools most, it is working class families. So the lower you are down the socioeconomic scale, the more likely you are to support school closures. And you know, the obvious answer is the poorer you are, the more likely, more likely you are to know people who've contracted COVID and especially know people who died of COVID. So, you know, Labour really need to think about uh about how it looks to be slow on this issue and uh Keir Starmer has apparently said he'll be making an announcement later today but at the same time the Tories are constantly you know swinging back and forth and refusing to tell people uh what to expect in, in, in the coming few weeks including with vaccination and all that's doing is fueling fake news it's fueling conspiracy theories and it's causing like this horribly toxic environment we're seeing in the UK constantly Don, can I ask, I've seen text messages from people receiving from, from their local hospitals, from the NHS saying, don't come to the hospital, um, queues of ambulances outside hospitals waiting to, to drop off. People have been treated within ambulances because the suspected COVID cases can't bring them in. And um, on, this, on the flip side, I heard Boris Johnson this morning telling Andrew Marr, glorious times ahead, everything is going to be rosy and can we all just, um, can we all just be, be so positive and, and focus on this? It strikes me that that there's a, huge, a really, really dangerous time ahead in terms of the number of deaths. And I know we spoke about this before, about the fact that the vaccine is being rolled out. But like, surely the, the, the density now, London is absolutely ground zero now, no? Yeah, it's, um, L- London is really, really terrible. I mean, um, I, uh, I think it was a month ago today... 
so before this massive peak, I you know, uh, had a seizure, split my head open in a uh, bus station and I was four minutes away by ambulance from one hospital. But because of the COVID cases, they had to take me to a hospital that was 21 minutes away, even though when they arrived, my lips were blue and it was obvious I was struggling to breathe with, 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 with the seizure because there were so many ambulances backed up there and you know I'll be fine with the seizure uh, it was obvious I had epilepsy but there will have been a lot more people who will be in that situation uh, you know and often with Covid as well you don't realise how ill you are because you're struggling to breathe you get um, you, uh, you become a bit euphoric people often don't realise how ill they are and they are very nervous about going to hospital. So there will be a, a lot more, uh, th this will be happening to a lot more people and you will get people who are very ill from other things who won't want to go to hospital. Um, and obviously, you know, Boris Johnson is used to the right-wing press treating him as a figure of fun and not properly kind of interrogating him. So uh, the conservative approach appears to be to accept that Boris Johnson will only be here for a few years and whenever he does go on TV he gets annoyed and expects everybody to simply uh, to, you know to simply accept everything that he says at face value uh, listen to a couple of Latin quotes and behind the scenes the you know you have uh, conservative MPs trying to figure out who will be the next leader rather than actually thinking about how they can look at the vaccine rollout so, you know, since Christmas, uh, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine has been approved in the UK. Um, and it's becoming increasingly clear now that uh, the, the British government said that they expected to be vaccinating a million people a week. And so far, I think they've managed to top 250,000 at most. And one in three people in England, uh, according to the Times today, aren't living in a local authority that has a vaccination centre uh, set up yet. So even though the government have been standing up and saying we've ordered a lot of these vaccines, you know, the vaccine will be coming, etc. They still haven't been doing the logistics. And, you know, it, it's very, very obvious that after a decade of austerity, of cutting the NHS down to the bare minimum over and over again, and then having a pandemic, this was bound to happen. And, you know, we knew almost a year ago that something, something like this was coming. We definitely knew in March that it was getting particularly bad. And we're now in January and still we don't have vaccination centres. Don, can I ask, because we haven't mentioned it, Brexit. Um, we haven't mentioned Brexit at all. Um, how is Brexit forming up? Are the car parks getting bigger? Are we expecting that next week when things begin to return to normal commercially, that there will be much more problems? I think that there may be some problems commercially. I think it will mostly be kind of goods becoming a bit more expensive. I think the bigger issue will come later once we get back to kind of more normal kind of freedom of movement. So a lot of people who expected uh, to be able to carry on going to Europe a lot more often, once they actually do have to go to Europe, will suddenly realise things have changed and uh, we may have problems with uh, getting, hold of, getting hold of certain vaccines, getting hold of certain goods, some of the PPE will need. I think essentially the government have been quite lucky in that um, you know, so far the barcodes needed to get into into England via Kent seems to be working okay, and because it happened over the kind of Christmas period and during a pandemic, there hasn't been a huge amount of kind of scrutiny. But I think that 
you know, if the government want to get back to normal, then individual people will slowly but surely realise that things have changed. And I think that, as you say, a couple, you know, a few things will will, will start popping up. And one thing is, for instance, Brandon Lewis, the Northern Northern Ireland minister, constantly trying to argue that we don't have a border in the Irish Sea. I know. And, you know, I think the Conservatives have been very lucky with with uh, with the pandemic taking people's eyes away from this. But you can't keep up the lie about the border and the Irish Sea for much longer. And as people go back to work, as, you know, newspapers start looking at things other than the immediate uh, schools problem, then Brexit will get scrutinised a lot more. And I think the Conservatives haven't been banking on how, how much culture will this has become and how a lot of people will actually you know so not a lot has changed and they expected far more to have changed and Britain will probably um, uh, end up in a position where we essentially become kind of uh, kind of down at heel America where companies uh, where, where, where we have to pay more for goods but companies think they can come here because we don't have the health and safety regulations and the legislation that other countries do. Um, brilliant, Don. Thanks so much, and good luck. You need it. <laughs> sink, sink the island. It's the only way forward. <laughs> At least row somewhere where it's warmer or something. You know, <laughs> you'll have nice things to look forward to then. Um, thank you so so much, uh, guys. Uh, we're going to move on because we are running out of time. So I'm going to start talking about hero of the week. So Martin, we'll start with you. Who is your hero of the week? I, my hero of the week is Leo Varadkar. Um, I think anybody who can get away with, first of all, this and effort, uh, making the wrong decisions, and still, he's, he is more Teflon than Bertie Ahern ever was. Um, I think the media have built up this fictional character of a leader, which he has failed to meet. And I think really and truly the big problem here is that media can't swallow their pride and say, look, he was a wrong one. He looked right on paper, but he just turned out to be a wrong one. He really doesn't care about you. Um, so, yeah, he's my hero. Anybody who can get away with it for that sustained length of time. I think fair juice to you. You're playing a blinder. Controversial. Vicky? Um, I am going to say the black community of Ireland, perhaps as exemplified by a Jiro today. I mean, how they have held themselves with such composure and dignity in the face of so much hate this week um, is an absolute lesson to us all. I'm not sure um, the white Irish community would have behaved the same way, to be honest. Um, and that, that that openness and that engagement, um, it's a degree of compassion that I hope we all could share, but there's been so much dignity um, and it's, it's amazing. Caroline. Um, I suppose mine is probably more, more a group of people. It's more, it's just people working in mental health services, um, like a like therapists, um, but people who are actually 
on the ground doing this work because it's hard work and it's crisis work and it's unpredictable and it's high burnout and there's not enough resources there's not enough funding there's not enough compassion all those kind of things but it's just such a valuable literally life-saving service so I'm I'm very glad that there are such good people dedicated to it and, and doing that work out there and, and supporting the rest of us. Jero I'm going to ask you do you have a hero of the week? Um just thinking about it, I have to go with the children in Ireland today. Um, they are going to be the ones that are going to support my grandchildren. So to this week, um, I'm going to say the children um, just for being able to weather everything that's going on. We, we probably can't hear, but I know they're going through a lot. So they will be my heroes of the week. Brilliant. Tony? I'm going to turn it around and say the people who I feel hardest done by this week are the some parts of the commentariat, you know, the armchair epidemiologists and the columnists who've had a very hard time because they've spent 10 months telling us that they were the, the government were playing a blinder. I'm sure, you know, the economy versus uh, saving lives matters and, you know, make sure we open up really quickly. And I, I was it Owen Murphy um, who said, you know, we can't we need to stop talking about lockdowns. These don't these can't be happening. And. You know, I feel sorry for Owen today because he's gone very quiet. Um, you know, they, they seem to they seem to have thought, and 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 I also think that there's an element of we need to adjust and have a little bit more. I keep going back to it, but we absolutely need to have a bit more done about media literacy in this country and and what what who's 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 saying it and why they're saying it and what the what the agenda is there because. I know this is completely on its head, Linda, but it's really annoyed me this week the amount of people who have gone quiet. Um, about what was predicted and said, and we couldn't see it coming when it was absolutely predicted by all of the statisticians and actually epidemiologists and medical advice. I mean, it must be so frustrating for people who who really are um, at the front line, at the front line and, and dealing with all this nonsense and then turning on their radios and have to hear this crap. Um, my hero of the week is going to be Elaine Doyle for actually oh, yeah. pointing out that the numbers are bullshit um, and that the government are just pulling a Chernobyl. So uh, well done, Elaine. I actually really enjoyed that. Vicky? Yeah, but all, all of the comments are agreeing with me. So yeah, the, black, the black community the black are community our heroes. are our heroes of the week. That's this is the first week I haven't nominated myself. That's <laughs> uh, guys, we're going we're gonna to wrap up the recording part of it there for the non-Patreons. If you want to join us, just go to patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. And for less than the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can be here with us every Sunday hearing this live putting your input into the Q&A that you don't get to hear until afterwards um, so please do sign up you know uh, it's listener led content and these are very important conversations I think and um, you know we need we need money to keep it going so please do sign up and become a patron <laughs>